welcome to episode one of The Spiel, a regular podcast about games and the people who love them. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, I'm Stephen Conway, and I'm here with my friend David Colson. <laughs> and uh, this is our first voyage, actually, our second voyage into the world of podcasting. Had a little issue with uh, <laughs> not recording, even though we talked for a good hour, but this is really episode 1.5 for exactly. the record. Um, but uh, before we get we jump right into the whole rigmarole of, of what we're going to cover in most of the episodes, we figured we'd talk a little bit about just why the hell we decided to do this podcast in the first place. Because uh, that's a valid question. <laughs> Nobody else is doing this, and it needs to be done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, first and foremost, the reason to do it is to have fun. I mean, right? we love playing games, and it's something we do... As a, a avocation regularly, we get together at least once, if not twice a week sometimes, and right. play, play board games, card games, really any any kind of game. We will more than likely stick to board games and card games to start out with, but we're not going to limit ourselves no, to that. Right. If, if a great game comes to our attention that we want to talk about, it's all on the table, but the main focus... Uh, with the name of the podcast being The Spiel, yeah. especially, um, is going to be uh, board games and card games. For those of you who don't know, uh, Spiel is the German word for, for, game. for play and, for play, and game. Yeah. And uh, so many of the games in the last, gosh, decade, decade and a half, 15 years or so, right. uh, the quality of games that seem to be coming out of Europe and in Germany in, in particular uh, just have jumped leaps and bounds over the quality of you know the your run of the mill monopoly, oh right kind of games that you could get here, and it's not that we weren't necessarily into games before that because we certainly were, but just the kinds of games and just the number the sheer number of really interesting cool games has just exploded. Right, and I think that those companies overseas are are going with that. They're realizing how much the American people are starting to play these games, and they're even starting to make more than they used to make. Yeah, and I mean, it's crazy. To me, I guess the other good sort of uh, uh, domino effect is that it's pushing the American game companies to make even better oh, game companies too. Right, so exactly. we win on both accounts because there are just so many awesome right. games out there. And I guess that leads me to the sort of second point uh, 2A or 2 of, <laughs> of why we're doing this is... Um, because fun comes in so many different forms and all the different kinds of games that, that we have, that you'll find the game players out there who can only, you know, they only like one right. particular kind of game. And if it's not that kind of game. Exactly. If you have to roll dice, I hate it. Yeah. You know, that, or if you have, if it's not a war game, I, you know, yeah. or if it's not a card game, but. That, that is not us. <laughs> Neither no. one of us fit can. You can't pigeonhole us into, you know, we can have as much fun playing marbles <laughs> as exactly. we can playing advanced squad leader. Uh, you know, the idea is that whether the game is competitive or cooperative, whether it's pure strategy or pure luck, whether it takes a half a day or a half an hour to play, right. there's fun to be had in any any of those kind of games, in, my, in to, my opinion. Yeah, the key is to take those games with the right group and make them a social event rather than right. you know getting together with friends and feeling like there's a need for victory or to win you know yeah, yeah. the actual victory conditions for us I think is just getting together yeah you know yeah. simply just enjoying each other's company and whoever else may be playing with us and well I think I've heard I mean you've said it best before in that you know if everybody else around the game table is having fun then you've really kind of, you've kind of won right that, exactly. there. That, yeah. That's really victory condition is if you can sit down on any given night with any group of people and put a game in front of them that everybody enjoys. Right. <laughs> victory has been achieved. You've had fun. And, and that's, that's usually really the only goal. way I achieve victory too. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess we feel like because we played so many different games. I don't think there are many people on the planet who are as uniquely situated to be able to show you how to have. The most amount of fun with the greatest right. variety of games, and hopefully there are going to be people out there who are going to be turned on to lots of new and interesting kind of games because they're listening to us dorks yeah, go exactly. on about them like we're nuts. Because we'll play we'll play anything once. Yeah, most of the time we'll play it two or three yeah. times. We'll play <laughs> just to make sure we've yeah. run the last. We'll bit try of fun. absolutely any game, any type of game once, and 
most time we enjoy everything. Yeah, yeah. I you mean, know? to a greater or lesser extent, there is no such thing as a perfect game in in right, my mind. Yeah. And you can have a lot of fun with games that aren't perfect. You know, right. a lot of people, if a game is they if they consider a game broken because one rule is just not written quite the way it should be, or right. yeah, the no components to... weren't as good as they were expecting, then you know they just want to throw it, a whole toss game. it out. Yeah. You know, we're not the baby with the bathwater kind of gamer. No. Um, there's there's definitely fun to be had with a wide variety of games, and we're we're going to be the ones to put these games on the map for a lot of you, I think. Um, so that kind of gives you an idea of, of what we're all about, and we probably won't go on and on about that in future, but we'll just we'll, we'll refer people back to episode one yeah, when exactly. they want to know why exactly. the hell we're doing this. Game, news, and notes. So a regular segment on the spiel, I guess we'll probably start out most of the episodes um, with a sort of roundup of game news and notes of, cool. of the week or the month or just of the of the moment. Yeah, exactly. Whatever we happen to just have found out that's cool that we think everybody else should know. So I'll let you haul forth first. If, um, um, I know you said you were looking at Rio Grande's stuff today. Yeah, the latest thing that I just found out that I think is very cool is that there's going to be expansion to Niagara. If anybody's played Niagara, you know what we're talking about. We can't wait till for some more stuff to come out with that. Yeah. If you haven't played it, it's a game you need to look up. Yeah, it's but a, it's great. So. It's a German. Uh, it's, it's a German game. It won the Spiel, Spiel Jahr, which is like the, the, the game of the year from Germany. They give out game awards every year. Um, it's basically a game about Niagara Falls, and it's got a really interesting mechanic. And the board <laughs> actually has like a little waterfall with your. Right, these Pieces little plexiglass discs are the water, and <laughs> it, they're moving, and you're falling off the edge of the board, and it's it's great. So, any anything associated with that is going to be great. Do I'm you not know sure. when it's coming out? Oh goodness, I I don't. Okay. okay. If I if I if I would guess, I would say they, it looked like it was this year. Okay. But um, and it's a was, it's a Rio Grande. Yeah, yeah, Rio will be putting it out. I can't remember. I think was that a Cosmos. The German company is Cosmos, right? And right. Rio Grande has the the rights to so publish if you, and distribute. If you want to look for the the release date, we'll try we'll try to have um, maybe the, that info in the next episode um, for sure. But RioGrandeGames.com is is the website, and Jay Tummelson, the guy who runs Rio Grande, yeah. usually has a pretty good list. So that's for my two cents. I'd say that's the most exciting thing that I've seen in the last couple of days yeah. that I didn't <laughs> know about. That's like. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, uh, to me the the one that caught my eye um, most recently, and I have very little information just because there's very little out about it so far. Is I just caught wind of a new game by Days of Wonder called, I think it's Cleopatra and the City of the Architects or something uh, like something to that, that, yeah, that uh, right. effect. Uh, it definitely has Cleopatra and Architects in the title. Exactly. Um, Days of Wonder again is another one of these. Euro-style game companies. I believe the guy who founded the company is French. Yep. Um, and they have been just on a tear the last probably two, three years. They're not a very old company, uh, but some of the other notable games that they've done are Mystery of the Abbey, yeah. uh, Memoir 44, uh, Pirate's, Cove, Pirate's Cove, Shadows Over Camelot. Yeah. Um, all of these games have just been extremely high, high production, production values. Right. Um, Really interesting mechanics. Um, some of them emphasize cooperation, which is not a. It's, it seems to be a mechanic that, that's growing in popularity. I have no idea whether this new oh, game has that or not. Right, I'm not sure it, if it's cooperative um, or not. But. but all I've basically seen is that uh, I've seen the box art, and that was the, the fact that it's Days of Wonder is is just, enough of yeah. a moniker to make me interested in the game instantly. The fact that it's got the Egyptian theme, it, right? Interest Dave. Big time. Instantly, yeah. too. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. And as we find out more info about that, we'll we'll try to fill you in. We'll probably have more more lustful yeah, yearnings yeah. for games. Uh, there's, uh, there's always there's 50 never. or 60 things that we just heard of that we right. have to have. But that's so that'll wrap up uh, news and notes for this week. The list. We have sort of two kinds of lists that we keep. 
uh, one, the games we want, which is sort of what we just covered, right. the, the list of games that are coming out and, you know, budgets and such and there's the dictate. <laughs> and then there's the, the painful list that um, Dave can talk about, uh, how, I guess, maybe how this got started between the two of us way back when. Right. I think we just started buying games, and uh, unfortunately, we were buying them quicker than we could play them, and all of a sudden, we would have 10 games that we owned between us that we haven't played then there'd be 20 then 30 i think right now between us both we have between 70 and 80 games that we own and we haven't played so our gaming sessions now basically turned into this quest for attempting to, <laughs> to play knock down. these things off the list and um it's probably a never-ending quest but i think that's actually a that's, good. That's actually a good thing, in my opinion. Right. I mean, I know it's kind of bad to have a lot of games that you haven't played, but in my opinion, it's sort of like having. You can never have too many books. I I love being able to go to my bookshelf and have you know the choice of. There's at least you know a couple dozen books I haven't haven't oh, touched right. yet, and it's always fun to have new unplayed games. They're not necessarily brand spanking new games. They're games oh, I might have bought two right, or three years exactly. ago that you know just haven't had the right number of people or the right kind of you know right not kind of people but the right crowd of people right, right, that would exactly. enjoy this particular right kind type of game. right quantity of people. Because that we'll get into that a little bit later, but that right. certainly has a lot to do with whether you're going to enjoy a game or not. Is got to match the I, right I think, game with the right crowd. I think that's the absolutely funnest thing. While I love going back to a game that I've played ten times because it's awesome, I love when I'm in the mood to play a game that I can go, you know what, I've got 75 games that I've never played before. <laughs> it's like kid in a candy store on Christmas. I can just go up, pull one off, and you just feel like you, know, you just bought it even though it's been sitting there for five years. <laughs> it won't ever, well, in Dave's case, it won't be in the shrink wrap. It'll all be organized uh, yeah. and entered <laughs> into the database. But, <laughs> but so the, the one of the main meaty sections of, of the podcast is going to be us talking about um, the games that we've just played off of the list. So prior to each, each episode of the spiel, we're going to have sat down and have just played in some cases, one game. In some case, cases, maybe multiple games. Yeah. Today's episode, we're actually going to cover two games because they were uh, quasi-short games. One was really short, and the other <laughs> one got a little ugly. The other um, one was longer because somebody doesn't know how to read the rules. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the rules, in your defense, were not particularly well-written. Um, so we're just going to jump in, and we're, we're not necessarily – don't think of these as reviews in terms of we're going to give these five stars out of five right. stars because – as with almost any new game, your first time playing through, you kind of have Can't to treat that like get a, a good feel for. It, it's like a learning session. Right. Much, you're learning about the game as much as you are whether or not the game is actually any good or not. Um, so well, let's just jump in with game number one. Okay. Well, the first game we played tonight was King of the Beasts, and it is a game that's put out by a game company called Playroom Entertainment, um, and the author is Rainer Knizia who is, if anybody knows, just an incredibly prolific German game designer, um, probably in the top three to five yeah, of, game, of game designers ever. Uh, but anyway, this, is, this was new in 2005. Um, kind of a small, I'm trying to think, uh, fairly small game, runs about $15 if you care how much it is. It, how it's many for, people? It's for two to five players. It says 20 minutes playing time. I think once you learn it, you can knock a hand ten. out in 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, you can Easy. And that's the whole game. Um, I said hand. The whole game is in 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Easily. You're going to so sit you, down and play probably. You can play multiple. You know, if you were going to play, maybe play for a half an hour and play like right. two out of three or right, something Right, exactly. Like you, could, you could do that. But um, the theme of the game is basically have these six mythological beasts. You've got krakens and dragons and manacores. And um, they're all vying to become the king of the beasts. And so throughout the game, you're collecting cards and um, playing certain cards to vote for who you would like to be the king and also collecting cards in front of yourself that at the end, if they were voted the king or first or second runner-up, then those will score points for you. And uh, it's quick. It's fun. It's easy. I think you could teach. Yeah. They put... Uh, they put ages eight and up, which that's is that's appropriate, I think, which is it's, very fair. And I think it, we've played with three adults, and it was by our second game. I think it was a hoot. Yeah, the first know? the first game you were, I think it definitely you got the feel of it needing to be a, a multi 
a multi-game game where right. you didn't want to just sit and play once because it is sort of anticlimactic because it can end on a dime, right. especially if you're not planning very well oh, right. for the first couple games, as I was doing. But yeah. um, You can find yourself with a stack full of cards and only one point. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, there's a, you know, on the strategy to luck ratio, it's, it's I would say, tips in the favor of the luck. Simply right, because yeah. you, you're drawing your cards out of a pile of five randomly flipped right. over cards, and that really has a, a strong yeah, factor in dictating what you might want to do with right. your hand. But there is some strategy. It's not a complete luck game right. by what any stretch of the What you do with those cards you pull out of the pool is totally up to you. Yeah. There are a handful of strategies, but you're never going to have any choice but what those five cards are. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know... Uh, I liked it. I, I thought the the art is actually kind of interesting. I, yeah, you know, I think it's, I it's think got the some art. nice fantasy type art on it. Um, the, I guess the biggest knock I would have on it is the the components themselves. The cards are like one step above paper. Right, They're just yeah. so thin. Yeah, they've got they a texture. Kinda, yeah, they have a texture to them, but they they definitely don't. Um, they feel cheap. Yeah. You know, it's like getting in a car and you shut the door and it feels like, you know, the whole car is a little yep. tinker toy. It just made out. It just, exactly. you, you pull everything out of the box and it just feels. Well, well I know we'll cheap. talk about this a lot later, but a lot, what we enjoy in the game is how a game feels and looks when yeah, you're playing. That's a legitimate, you know, and, aspect to, to rate, you know, or, or, you know, to like or dislike a game by. I mean, right. I don't think we would totally pan this game just because it had no, cheap components. No. But that definitely, if it had really awesome components, if you know it had. Right. It wouldn't call for big plastic monsters or something, <laughs> right, exactly. but that certainly might make it a little more cool if it, right. if it you know had a little cooler components than. But than I'd, what say, it had. I'd say if your thing is uh, mythological beasts and you're looking for a ten minute little filler type thing that you could play yeah, yeah. once or t- twice or three times, then uh, I would yeah I'd play it again. It's a good filler yeah. filler game. It not not one I would just. You know, I can't imagine going. Ooh, I, I'm yeah. I'm really yeah. itching to play King of the Beasts, but if you had you know, a half an hour and you were waiting for other people to show up, it would be a really good filler game um, right. in that case. Good beer and pretzels. Exactly. Um, so that's game so number that one. So that was game number one. We played a couple things that, and then we went on to game number two, which... Uh, the name of... Uh, the title of game number two is uh, Trios or Trio or Trias. Trias, as in the Triassic period. It's a game about dinosaurs. Um its publisher is Rio Grande Games. Um, it comes yep. from a, a European game company called, called Gecko, Gecko Games. Games. The yep. um, game designer is Ralph Lemkul, um, who apparently this is his only game from As, what we could find. What it we was could released out. in 2002. Um, it is for two to five players. The recommended playing time on the box is an hour. <laughs> Our experience was, I would say... Maybe double, double that. that. Yeah. Um, we'll get into that in a moment. Um, a brief kind of synopsis of the game. As I said, it's a game about dinosaurs. The idea is um, your dinosaurs on the uh, continent of Pangaea before all the different tectonic plates have started moving and all the dinosaurs have split off onto the different continents. So um, you're trying to have uh, the most dinosaurs on the most continents by the end of the game. That's sort of the... The rundown. It's a score yep. score based game. You're going to score points based on having uh, distributed your dinosaur herds in to the most possible continents uh, to score points. Um, so that's kind of the synopsis. Uh, Dave, you want to give a rundown on kind of the mechanics and maybe some of the pitfalls Ooh. that we ran into. This is I'll say before Dave starts. This is a common occurrence with some German or European style games where you might get. Um, an English translation set of rules right, um, that, that didn't quite pass muster, right. or the person <laughs> translating them English wasn't their native language. Right. Um, so and a, and a lot of times you can you can guess what's correct, and sometimes you can't. But the um, I say the basic mechanic is that um, the board is uh, is t- our tiles. It's made up of several tiles and um, hexagonal ba- hexagonal tiles, and on your turn. You are just drifting a tile from one location to another location, breaking up the main continent into smaller continents, and then heaving out your dinos on certain tiles that you want. Um, the scoring mechanism, uh, 
is one of the things that kind of <clears throat> that I messed up Where on. Where we uh, kind of had a little problem. Yeah, yeah. During the game, you're scoring um, two or one point based on um, how many dinosaurs you have in a newly formed continent versus the end of the game where you're scoring points based on the number of tiles in that continent. Yeah. Um, if you can picture it, you sort of you start with kind of one board, and right. as the game goes on, you sort of end up with smaller and smaller Several. kind of mini boards because each of the hexagonal tiles can move almost anywhere on the board, and so you end up with instead of one big island, all these little islands. That that's where the scoring snafu <laughs> occurred yeah. for us. The, the rules were not particularly helpful in explaining. Um, certain situations that would happen with once you had islands separated from the main uh, continent. Um, right. I would say that the rules are 100% correct. They're just very vague and you have to you have to create your own understanding. There's going to be things that happen that the rules don't cover. Yes. You know, or they at least don't seem to cover. Yeah. They don't explicitly state, right. "Hey, you might run into this scenario and here's how you deal with that scenario." Um we did manage eventually yeah, yeah. to actually parse out the correct rules. We actually got it and, right. You know, played played it actually correctly almost from the get go. The only real issue was just we were giving people way too many points for scoring uh, certain kinds of continents. But I don't actually think it affected the eventual outcome of the game. It might have. No, I think our scores no. were just way higher than than the intended right. outcome of the game. I would still argue that the scoring board that they give you is a little too short right because i could envision you going over the score they give you a little separate scoreboard it goes up to 30 i think mm -hmm. and it's certainly not the only game that suffers from too small of a scoreboard yeah yeah but but we were i think our final scores were in the 80s pushing 90 so we had lapped the board twice right um I which should have been an indication early on that we were there was something dreadfully wrong right, right. Um, yeah, I think in a normal game you'll probably find yourself closer to between twenty and forty. Yeah, you know, maybe edging up to the fifty if you've had a great game. But. Yeah, this one, I mean, on the sort of ratio of strategy to luck, it's definite. There's still a luck factor involved because there's a deck of cards that determine the kinds yep. of kinds Absolutely. of pieces <laughs> that you can move. And I know I got stuck several points oh. in the game where. You, oh God! I need to be able to move a mountain, and if I couldn't draw anything but right. the steps. Or the cool the thing is, they they do allow for that because when you get into the meat of your turn, you have action points that you can spend, and one of the things you can do is basically drift. If you haven't been getting the cards that you really need, you can spend some of your action port points to force a drift that you really need to have. Yeah, so, yeah. so even though there is um, the luck of drawing those cards or not drawing the cards you need. It's, you know, in a in a horrible situation, you can get out of that, you know. Yeah. Bit. So I would say it's he it's heavily weighted towards the strategy, but it's not without an element right. exactly. of luck involved exactly. too. You can hedge against the luck because you can still do what you want, even if the cards are just completely right. giving you the finger. Yeah. You can definitely uh, find a way to do what you want to do, which I guess would also put it in the brain hurting category <laughs> for oh, yeah. us. I'm not. I don't know. I guess maybe a second play it might not hurt our brains so much just because we weren't sh we weren't quite sure we were playing the game correctly right. for about half the time and so we were spending a lot of time going There's, I'm not sure we're doing this yeah. right and eventually we figured out we were but there was a lot of time spent one, doing one particular that. Um, example in the game is really hard to um, to understand and glean you know what they were trying to get across it actually confuses if they left that example out it might have been that we actually would have just played through right. and not even had some of the questions that we had. But the, the example right. raised so many other questions that it made it really difficult to, to tell right. what was going on. Luckily, we were able to wade through it because I think... Um, it's worth, it's yeah, worth the time. I think, it's a, I think it's a good little game. And um, after having played it and figured out a couple of things that we may not have done 100% right, I think I would even enjoy it. I think it even makes it a, a neater game. So Yes, yes. Plus, how can you go wrong? It's got scads of little wooden dinosaurs. Yes, lots of I little mean, multicolored dinosaurs. The the production value is great, as with most right. Rio Grande games. Yep, exactly. It's a small, smaller game. I think it's priced, you know, in the fifteen twenty dollar range. Yeah, also, you can pick it up. I think we saw it on Thought Hammer for fourteen. Something. Yep, yep, exactly. And I mean, for that price, you're getting tons of cool little wooden dinos. 
you know, some nice cards and full, some full color printed card cardboard style uh, hexagonal tiles. Yep. yep. Easily easily worth fifteen dollars. It's not a game I would say that I would pull out really that a ton, but it's definitely one I would come back to. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, play out of all again. the the tile type of games that we have. I would play this. It has, I guess, a good comparison um, for those other game nerds out there. It has a sort of Carcassonne element to right. it in that you're play you're placing tiles, but you're moving tiles, unlike Carcassonne. Right. And the base, one of the basic strategies is trying to sort of load up the board so that you can score a bucket load of points at the end at the end of the game, um, which um, is definitely, I think, what it has, well, it has yep. in common with Carcassonne. Exactly. Um, so if, if you're in the mood for that kind of game and you want something that's a cool variation on that kind of game, this this would definitely, yep. I, would, I would definitely point you in that Especially there's not, a, there's not a truckload of dinosaur-themed games that's out true. there I can that's think true. of, you know, four or so. Yeah, you know, and, heads. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I think that might have been the first, fighting off heads, like was the first dinosaur-themed game I played, probably. Yeah, a Dino Hunt by Steve Jackson games. Dino Hunt, about the same time. yep, exactly. You got... Evo, Evo, yeah, that's that's and, an excellent game. Yeah, I played that in a long time. But uh, but yeah, for anybody who's a dinosaur freak and likes, it's that pretty good. The little eggs. It's like a card eggs. game, the little dinosaur eggs or something like oh, that. Oh, T Rex or something. T Rex, exactly. Is that right? Yep. Okay. <laughs> and that's a Rio game yep. as well. It's an older one, but it's that's a good one. Yep. <laughs> you can see we can riff on uh, <laughs> any kind of theme. That might be a good category for just. The, just Throw out a random category and see how many games you can name exactly. in <laughs> so uh, many seconds. <laughs> um, cool. So those were our two games of the evening. Took about off the list. Three out. Yeah, off the list. Gotta <laughs> love that. Have to come up with like a sound effect. For yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> them off the list. The unfortunate thing is, on my way over here, I bought a new game. <laughs> <laughs> Bastard. So we got two off the list, but we really only have one off the list. Dave has to admit that he is fully responsible for <laughs> the list growing. Exponentially, yeah. you know, my my, I am a little more measured because of budget and other constraints. Uh -huh. But Dave uh, outstrips me by at least a well, factor of ten. I just have a problem. Yeah, you know, that's all there is to Admitting it. Admitting you have a problem <laughs> is the first step. <laughs> Backshelf spotlight. Most of the list games, not all of them, but most of them are going to be more recent right. games. Not necessarily brand new, but games that probably in the last five, six years we've purchased right. and, and haven't pulled off the shelf. There will be exceptions, but that's in general what we're going to cover with the list. The purpose of Backshelf Spotlight is to talk about classic games that have been sitting on our shelves that we come back to again and again. And over there are and so many games oh. that deserve a mention and that I think a lot of people don't know about that aren't your typical games right that I think you should seek out and you know in some cases they, they may be out of print but with the internet being what the internet is exactly. they are still in the in most cases readily available if you want something today you can find it so. yeah it's just how much are you willing to pay for right. it. and in most of the cases we're gonna say if you can find these games for, for any X. kind of reasonable price get them these are all games that we sort of are putting our right. the, the spiel seal of approval on and saying Don't say that are, three times fast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give me another uh, glass of wine and yeah, maybe I will. Exactly. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to feature a board game uh, spotlight and a card game spotlight each week, and we'll just take turns. Whichever one of us wants to do the board game, whichever one of us wants to do the card game uh, of the week, and we're just going to bring to your attention games that. That definitely come off our shelves um, often. often. <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, go for it, Dave. You can pick whichever one you want, and I'll fill in. Okay. Well, I think I will steal from the card game <laughs> because one of my favorite games is Cribbage, which Stephen actually taught to me. Uh, Shockingly enough, a yeah. game did Dave had not played <laughs> many many years ago, um, and it's just probably. In my top five of two-player classic games ever, it's it's um it's a card game not like I don't think any other it's unlike any other card game I've ever played. Yeah, it um, has some really unique yeah it's um, mechanics great. to it. I think it dates all the way back to Egyptian in some way, shape, or form. Oh, really? Yeah, they had. I thought it was more like a 17th, 18th century. From I've read some stuff that said that. Um, Oh, God, 
gosh, what was his name? Sir Sir John Suckling. Yes. He gets the credit <laughs> for creating it. But supposedly he just revamped um, an earlier an earlier Egyptian thing. Really? So huh. I mean, it was probably quite a bit. It's not like you're gonna, you know, that they were playing cribbage in <laughs> yeah. in Egypt, but but it, um, they found some old boards. They had little holes in them. They used pegs to score and, mm. and had some cards and stuff. And they think that he just kind of revised this huh. kind of thing. But um, it's it's a great game. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to describe it because it's so different than. Well, there's sort of else. three phases to the game. There's a there's a building your hand phase where you get cards and you're trying to um, find combinations of cards that will score you points, which is not unlike Pinochle or other right. melding type games. And so uh, that's sort of phase one. And phase two is playing the cards in your hand just like you would with a... It, I guess it does kind of share in, in terms of like a Pinochle or a Bridge or something like right. that where you have the, the bidding or the, the planning phase the playing of the card phase, and then the adding up your points right. phase at the end. Um, you play, um, basically it's called cribbage because every hand there's a, a crib which contains four cards. Whoever the current dealer is, um, in addition to his normal hand, he's going to get to score this crib of cards um, also. And um, basically it comes with, a, almost all cribbage sets come with a board, you keep score with these little pegs, which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, you got to love a game where you're not getting out a piece of paper and a pencil and keeping score. This, the scoreboards are designed very elegantly and simplistically. And um, let's see, what else do we need to say about cribbage? Well, I think it's to me it's the perfect two-player game. You can play in, all, in almost any circumstance. As much as the boards are cool, you could even play with pen and paper as long as oh. you have a deck of cards. But, I mean, the boards are cool. It's a great travel game. You can find yeah. travel sets that, you know, will literally fit in your pocket um, that you can play. An average game, um, you play to 121 points. An average game, um, if you're just learning, might take a half an hour. Right. Once you've it. learned the game, it's probably 20 minutes. Yep. You can shave 10 minutes off that easily. Yep. And, I mean, Dave and I will get in our sort of cribbage death matches, <laughs> and we'll play at least, you know, the best two out of three or the best three out of five or something like that. And once you really get the hang of the rules, uh, you can fly through, you know, the best two out of three in less than an hour. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's definitely a, a good balance of strategy and luck, and you can you consistently get hands that you've never seen before or that you right. don't know, gosh, what's the best move? Um, so that you, even though you've played a lot, there's there's sort of a new and fresh thing every time you right. sit down to play because you may come up with a hand that you've never seen before. The the uh, the awesome hand that everybody once in their life wants to try to get is a hand of is it twenty nine? Yeah, it's worth twenty nine. Twenty nine. Um, it's uh it's just a classic game that I think a lot of people don't know. That's a great couples game, and it's a game that you know. There are right. not it's, a lot of great two-player games. No, it's designed. It's designed as a two-player game. It's awesome. But the cool thing about it is that it will expand to allow three yeah, and four, and probably that. even more than that. I'm I'm familiar with the three and four-player um, versions of that. It's neat. You can bring people who maybe aren't um, haven't played before, yeah. and they're not going to feel the pressure of a one-on-one -on -one type of thing. Yeah, you can bring them in in a three or four-player situation, and you know, teach them from there. Basically, in a nutshell, if you haven't played, go anywhere. Go to Target, go to Myers, go to your local game store, go anywhere. For $5, you can find a cribbage set. Teach yourself. It's it's pretty easy to learn. You can play online. Great. That's that's a yeah, great that's, pl place right. to learn, too. There's lots of online places that um, have, like, beginner's lounges, like at Yahoo or MSN. And you right, can you play can play free. with other people that are, you know, just beginning. I mean, it goes all the way from something like that to I know that there's actually, like, a tour Yes. You can actually play yeah. professional cribbage. Which We've is, actually uh, entertained the idea of uh, starting a start, local, right. is it the National Cribbage Congress, Congress or something yep, like that? And exactly they have like it. local clubs that you can play in cribbage tournaments, and then you qualify for like national tournaments and things. Right. And it's, it's definitely something that interests a broad range of people. Yes, that's I taught point. I taught my daughter when she was 16, a mm -hmm. teenage daughter. And she actually enjoyed playing cribbage, and I play it with my 85-year-old, yeah. you know, yeah. father, well, grandfather-in-law. My mom taught me you know. when I was about eight, and she had said she had learned um, 
when she was pretty little from her parents because it was a game that's young enough that you you know even young kids you might not get all the subtle strategies of how to build the crib right. or whatever exactly. but if you can count to 15 bingo you can play cribbage <laughs> and there're just not that many games that are going to sustain your attention and really you're going to want to come back to time and time again that um, fit that category exactly. I would say cool um, so that's a that's the card game for the week um the board game um, that I have to pull off the shelf first, I think, is Robo Rally. Without, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> without a doubt, yeah. um, it was originally published by um, a company called Wizards of the Coast in the early 1990s. I don't have my sheet in front of me to know exactly what the date is, but that trust me, it's the early 90s. Um, it. Uh, it's a game that, on the surface, I think a lot of people would not think would appeal to them. Right. Um, it has that sort of more nerdy look about it. You know, it, it looks it's, like a game yeah. that you'd have to be kind of a hardcore gamer. The the syno- short synopsis of the game is each person controls a little programmable robot, which is a little miniature um, that you put out on the factory floor, which is the board of the game. Um, it's basically a race ga- game. Um, right. You have flags that you're putting on the board, and you can put as many as two, or you can put one, I suppose. It's yeah. a very short game. Yeah. Um, but you can put as uh, few as two and as many as, I think, six, or maybe there's even, I guess if you have multiple sets, you could put as many as you want. Right. The object is to navigate your robot from one flag one to two to three to four yeah, to five. Just like a rally. Just <laughs> like a rally. <laughs> Thus the go, name. Go figure. Um, the absolute coolest part about the game is the... The, uh, the random way in which your robot's going to move based on the cards that you're going to play to plan how your robot moves and what the board does. If you can imagine those old uh, cartoon factory floors with like the stompers and the uh, conveyor, conveyor belts, belts and the and things that like turn you 90 yeah, degrees and the big Grab pits. a hold of you and throw you over here. And you know, you have that music going in the background. That's pretty much... What I think of when I'm playing Robo Rally. So you there's a phase where you plan, you know, your robot to move forward, move backwards, turn left, turn right, um, based on the cards that you're dealt. But then the board is gonna have its way with you, basically, from almost the get go, which is part of the the joy of Robo Rally. Yeah, the crazy thing you get those five cards and you're programming your robot, but once everybody's done then you reveal what you've programmed simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, it's like all these robots all of a sudden just turn on and go, and you don't. You're trying. Well, in most cases, you're trying to avoid your opponents. <laughs> yeah. But you just can't help but accidentally yeah. run into them. You can you can guess. Oh, that person has to be going too two spaces forward and then turning right. But they but may have been thinking, they, oh, well, you're going to go there, so I'm going to exact, go behind you. Exactly. So you back up. They were behind you. You run into each other. He knocks you into a pit. You die. It's hilarious. Yeah. The, <laughs> there's you know, the best laid plans. You try to come up with the best strategy you can on any given turn, but invariably random crap's going to happen on any given turn right. and is going to throw off. And I think the other sort of genius element is every robot has a laser <laughs> on the front of it. And at the end of the turn, uh, each turn after you've moved your robot, the laser shoots straight forward. Yeah. And if you are caught <laughs> in that laser, in that robot's laser beam, you, for each laser you're caught in, you're going to get one less card on the next turn. So the more you get shot, if you end up in front of someone, the less cards you're going to get to the point where you may not even have enough cards to fill up your hand, in which case, whatever you did on your last turn, on your last move, is what you'll just continue to do. So if your last card was a turn right, you may only get cards and you just know, well, I don't know what else I'm doing this turn, but I'm going to be turning right at the end. (laughs) Or the, the other hilarious thing that happens to everyone who plays Robo Rally is you get all nine cards and they're all turn lefts. So you're like, well, I know what I'm doing this turn. I'm just going to be turning left and the, the sit and spin maneuver. And the fun part it. is when you find yourself on a conveyor belt <laughs> with only turns, all, you're at the mercy of wherever that conveyor belt's taking you. So you're just spinning along, running down the conveyor, yep. and you may end up in a pit or a bottle of a, a, a big uh, pool of acid or something. <laughs> exactly. There are multiple expansions that add a lot to the game. I won't go into all those because we could save and, those uh, for other. A reprint as of 2005. That's so, right. Um, before that, out of print, really hard to find, very expensive. 
Now anybody can go out and get it for fifty bucks. Yeah, well worth the fifty. Yeah, bucks. well worth the fifty you bucks. Know. I would say, I still prefer the original in that the components are, are better in the original. The, the, um, the boards are bigger. The quality of the original was better. Metal paintable miniatures in right. the original. You don't have to paint them, but you can if you want. Yep. Um, the new edition, the boards are smaller and the bots are plastic. Still the same excellent game that it always yep. has been. Can't can't knock that about yeah. it. Um, it's also, I, I guess, the other great thing is you can play with as few as two and as many as eight. I think eight. I think you could. Pro- I think I've played with more than that. Right. Yeah. Even, but there's just not a lot of games that fit that criteria that you could literally say, "Hey, Dave, you want to play Roller Rally?" And we just the two of us could play, or we could have this massive group of people and sit down and play. And it's it's literally as fun, I think, whether you play with two or it, it as is. eight. And yeah. a lot of games that may have that that range of players, it's really designed to be an eight-player game or designed to be a two, right. and it doesn't fit. It doesn't wear both hats well. Robo Rally does. It's, <laughs> it's, it's as close to, in terms of modern games, a perfect game that I... I can think of just if someone I, were to I just agree. say, think of a board game that you know you could play with any number of people. It would just be one of the right. It's not like my absolute favorite game of all time, but it certainly that's like you know asking what kid do you love more. But right, um, it's certainly in my top ten of all time. I couldn't not, not put yeah, it there. It's um, worthy, worthy of a mention is the first board game in the back shelf exactly. spot. Um, the designer is Richard Garfield. Yeah, good point. The only reason I mention that is because I should have mentioned this earlier in our news. <laughs> He, after how many years of not having designed any games, he's got a new game coming out. Oh, really? Called, oh, I, I didn't know I that. It's called like Rocket Men oh, that's or something cool. like that. It's a board game. Cool. And it's been a while since he's, he's come out with one. In addition to Robo Rally, he did three or four or five other things that were huge that we'll probably end up talking about yeah, yeah. in later episodes. Yeah. Needless to say, he's coming out with a new one, and... It almost has to be sight good. unseen. It's worth <laughs> it's almost it's worth playing, if not yes. worth buying, uh, just based so on it being a Richard Garfield. Look game. it up. I think it's Rocket Man or something. You know like who's that. putting it out? I believe it is Avalon Hill, since oh, they yeah. basically own the Wizards, Wizards of the Coast, of the Coast. which are both basically owned by Hasbro. Uh, yes, so Hasbro. We'll get into that painful thing later. <laughs> Uh, so that that wraps up the backshelf spotlight for um, this episode. Truckloads of goober. <laughs> On to the most unique segment of <laughs> the spiel. Um, it would not be a complete uh, podcast without a segment named after Dave. You will discover over time has a, has a great <laughs> turn of phrase. And the one that I think is the most endearing to me is I can remember him coming up to me in the game store at some time and saying, you got to look at this game. It, it's got truckloads of goober. <laughs> and I, had, I just thought he was insane. I had no idea what, what he meant by he truckloads about? of goober. So uh, welcome to the truckloads of, of goober, goober segment <laughs> of the show. I'll let Dave explain what truckloads of goober means because he can do it better than I can. Well, it's actually pretty simple. It's just um, I'm sure that there's other people out there that are as sick and insane as I am and have a small, very small addiction <laughs> to the actual components that come in a game. There's some games that just are so good you have to have them because the, the quality of the gameplay is great. There's other games that just have so much stuff or really cool stuff in the game. Yeah, just unique. You, you just have to have it. You just have to buy it, open it up, and just play with all the goober. I mean, so that's that's my definition of goober is just all the great, neat components that come in games today. You're not just opening a game up and getting a pack of play money yeah. and a deck of cards. <laughs> and little plastic pawns. That, right. I mean, it's I think, you know, when people the, think about... <laughs> the little generic uh, plastic pawns. Or, you know, if I, if I open a game and get one more thimble... <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be, you know... But, Somebody's going to get hurt. <laughs> exactly. It's not going to be pretty. But... Um, the games that are out today are just so visually um, and tact—I'm not, not sure what the tactile, right word—tactilely yeah. stunning that they're just a hoot to open and play. So, that's, so this segment's going to focus on the aesthetic, the aesthetics of right, of exactly. any game, and how much that actually weighs into whether you have fun or not. It's not certainly not the only determining factor right. in whether a game you like a game or not. We're not saying you judge a book by its cover, but 
<laughs> we're not about to say that that's that is not a legitimate factor in whether you enjoy a game or not. You can, a game cannot be perfect, but if it has really cool components, that can certainly add to the fun of a game. And right. you won't hear anybody. I would I would defy you to find people talking about the the components of the game as as a really important element of why Absolutely. you might like or dislike a game. You know, uh, it we we love cheap ass games as much as the next. Yep person and I think they're an awesome game company they have their own you know we'll we'll discuss them at their own yep. place and time they found this a... segment will be for you know Dave probably at first and then me throwing my two cents worth and you know highlighting as we've done with these other categories highlighting games that um, the thing that jumps out at you the most is the truckload of goober that exactly. comes with it whether it's because they look awesome or you just get so much stuff or whatever or it's just fun to look at when it's totally set up that there should be a category for games like that. Exactly. And we have tons of games that fit in that category, <laughs> yeah. so to speak. <laughs> More so than... we will not run out of games that are that weigh twenty pounds because <laughs> there's so much stuff. Yeah. Or that have the most unique one mm-hmm. You know, and they're not always expensive. I guess that's the other thing. I mean, no. the more modern ones tend to be a little more on the pricey side. But there are lots of really cool games out there with interesting components that are not. You know, you're not. Yeah, if you're really lucky, it. you can get a battery-operated um, light tower <laughs> for maybe like two dollars. Yeah, we'll we'll explain that later. But yeah, uh, if you're into truckloads of goober, you couldn't pass it up. Yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> um, so. That's a, a segment to look forward to in the future. The next few segments will be ones that not every episode will necessarily have in every single. We'll not have this the next segments in every single episode, but these are segments that you'll see coming up in future episodes. So we're just going to kind of hit the the highlights of what you might see coming in the future. Um, we're, we'll probably have a segment called Collector's Corner, where we have tips and tricks cool. on uh, how to go about finding or collecting old or out-of-print games, because there's a lot of great um, out-of-print oh, games right. and older games that were produced in uh, sets of right. games. Um I know. A lot of older stuff and still a few current ones that are kind of in series and sets, and we can point you in the right direction. If if you want to be a collector and you want to have a complete set of something, we can aim you in the right direction of maybe where to start first. How to yeah, how to go about and, doing that. Or for the more experienced collector, you know, finding you know those gems in the rough. Maybe just a few tips of where to look, or maybe even just how to take care of your your set or you know right. I know you've even I haven't done this yet and I probably should I know you've had your game collection added to your house insurance right yeah. that's, that's how pathetic <laughs> pathetic we are is that our game collections are large enough that you know they really do deserve their yeah. own riders but I mean that's I'm I'm sure there are other people out there who might have questions oh, about that stuff. right you've gone through that process I I should probably be the one asking you questions about that segment at some point. The insurance companies definitely looked at me like I was insane, <laughs> but uh, I feel much safer now. But it's <laughs> hey, it's it's legit. I mean, these especially with some of the out of print or older games that oh, actually absolutely. have value just as collectible yep. things. Um, so we'll have that. That's a segment to look forward to. Um, game uh, game, game designer or company spotlights. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't on occasion. Highlight the work of a particular right. game designer, designer or game or, company. Right. Um, they're just um, they're just so many great ones with great stories to tell. Yep. Um, that you know we're not going to get in depth on any particular game, but just kind of expose you to. I know we mentioned we've already mentioned too, like Reiner Knizia yep. and uh, Richard Garfield. Yep. Who you know we could each have a spotlight on each one of them and just sort Easily. of get the highlights <laughs> of of their gaming game design career or the the. You know, spotlight the breadth of games that a particular game company offers that you guys might not have heard of out there in the the hinterlands listening to us. <laughs> um, so that's something to look forward to. I'd also it would be awesome, especially since um, for those of you who um, don't know from looking at the website, we're actually based in Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, home of Gen Con. Um, where a lot of the game designers come at least once a year, uh, I could envision in the future maybe tracking down a few of these oh, designers and having would be interviews, great. you know, going up to them and, and being able to sit down and have a ten-minute chat with 
Dr. Knizia yep. or any one of these people, I think that would be just that would be awesome. awesome. <laughs> uh, so that's certainly down the road and in the in the works and in our our goals for the future. Um, you want to take the next two there and hit the bullet points on the next two. So then we're, it looks like we're going to also hopefully take some rules questions from other the people or yeah. from listeners, or we'll, we can discuss some of the variants that we've come up with in games that were great, but we just found new ways to play them, or games that maybe weren't so great that with just a tweak here or there, we made them almost great or great. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of official variants that you can get out there, and there's all kinds of um, home home-brewed variants yeah. <laughs> and stuff that are, that are a hoot, and anybody who has some and wants to share them with us or stuff we have and we want would like to yeah. share with everybody else we've we've had a lot of experience at reading and parsing through rules and you can see as this week's experience yeah. with our list games will show you that <laughs> we're not immune to rules interpretation or misinterpretation but we've had so much experience at reading different rules that if you have a question about a particular game or just some fine interpretation right. point more than likely, we've probably played the game, and more than likely, we may have encountered the same darn problem and exactly. have just had to sit down and figure out, you know, what's the best way to deal with that issue. So, haul forth and email us, or, um, or uh, I guess that'll probably be the main way of getting a hold of us is by so email at this that point. you're going to fly here and actually come <laughs> yeah. to our house, but... But, you know, for those dedicated people, you'd be welcome anytime. Uh uh, it will, our website, hopefully, um, I've secured uh, the rights to thespiel.net, um, and the website will be up and running by that point. So you can send it to um, either Stephen at thespiel.net or uh, Dave or David, I don't, whichever one you want, at thespiel.net. I'll set up email accounts for both of us there, and you can send us uh, uh, any questions, questions, any, I mean, it doesn't have to be rules. You can send us any, right. any question, question you can possibly you think of. We'll email you back and probably pick a handful of the best ones and put yeah. them on the next podcast. And yeah, and go from there. Um, so then uh, oh, you got one more to go, and then I'll Oh, the I'll online resources. The, yeah, I'll start, the, I'll start the one after that. And that's just the website that you're currently designing, right? Well, yeah. I, I was thinking we'll probably highlight... Um, on occasion, other game-related, oh, oh, you know, websites. Sorry. Right, that are out exactly. There. I mean, our our website will hopefully serve as a maybe a launching off point, you know, to for point those, you right. in the direction of those things. Sure. And we'll certainly, I'll include um, show notes for each episode of the the spiel that okay. the things that we talk about. I'll write up links to as like a little. This is you probably don't know this, but it's pretty common in podcast world to have a little list of show notes that goes back and references like I'll put oh, in right, a, a web link back to King of the Beasts and Triads and all the things okay. we've kind of talked about just kind of the bullet points okay. so that if they're interested all they're going to have to do is go to thespiel.net and look at the show notes and they can find more okay, even perfect. more in-depth information on any of this stuff then, but then. You know, we'll also, you know, if we talk about a particular web link, you're not going to have to sit there and scribble and it scribble. down right now. Okay. Just go to the show notes and you'll be able to see the web links that we're talking about. But it's so, not, so we're looking to feature other websites, yeah, whether um, they be um, websites that are actually selling games or dedicated to giving you information about games. Yeah, it could be about one particular game. I mean, right. There's tons of Robo Rally sites. We talked about that right. earlier. I might, I'll probably put a couple of those in the show notes that have just okay. whacked out oh. crazy ass rules for uh, adding to uh, <laughs> Robo Rally. Um, but yeah, that when when necessary, if we know of links that you know fit into the discussion, we'll mention those and then we'll include. And those there's in the certainly show notes. a handful of um, websites that we use on a daily oh, basis gosh, yeah. that are invaluable. Yeah. I mean, as far as purchasing and referencing, I think we should start there things. next next episode. We yeah. should start there and maybe just do a roundup of like the top our top five right game related web places that we you know surf to regularly, or or you know we'll cover the our top five over the next few episodes or something that, like that. That sounds good. The game sommelier, or right game, wrong crowd. As I think we've said earlier, I think we're both uniquely situated to be able to match, like a sommelier who's the guy at the restaurant, the snooty restaurants, <laughs> who will try to match the right wine with the right meal, and 
anyone who has any experience drinking wine or anything like that knows that it really can have an impact on both the meal and your reaction to the wine itself. That you yep. can have either a terrible meal or think the wine is terrible based on having a good sommelier who can point you in the right, right direction um, to find something that will match your taste. Well, I think we fancy ourselves as sort of the game version of the sommelier. <laughs> We're able to find the right games for the right crowds par excellence. I don't think there's two other people on the whole planet. No. I'll put ourselves on the line to say, I don't think there's anybody who can be better at, and with, at it with, than us. And with the selection that's out there today, it can be a very daunting task oh, God, trying yeah. to go out. You're going to spend your hard-earned money. You want to get a game that you know is going to work with your group of friends or your family, and it's it can be tough. Yeah, yeah. But we've, we've played all of them, almost, yeah. and what we haven't played, we have a good guess of stylistically where they would fit in your Mm-hmm. Your needs. So the way the way this is going to work initially, and we're more than happy to have feedback or input from from the listeners out there. But the way we're going to start it at um, start the game sommelier challenge is one of the two of us um, is going to put the other one on the spot. Um, we're setting up the rules. We'll actually start this in full force with the next episode. <laughs> so um, we can we'll probably determine after this who, who gets to put who on the spot. But let's just say for the sake of argument, I'm the, I'm the one putting Dave on the spot. I will issue Dave a challenge for uh, episode two, and I get to pick any kind of group of game, game players that I want. And Dave has to come up with five games that are perfect matches for that, that particular group. kind of group of, of gamers. So it could be, I could say, Dave, your, your challenge for next week as the game sommelier is to find... The five best games to play with your wife, or it could be the five. <laughs> Good luck with that one. Yeah, oh, Roberta, she's she she loves games. What Let's not start about? with that one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, or it could be uh, the best games to play with gamers who think they only like war games. Right. So it could be age, it could be the number of game players, it could be the personality Parties. of the game players. It, we can there are just so many different com- combinations. Yeah, any mixture of all the that the one person gets the freedom to set the challenge and the other person has to come up with their five games that they think fit this that category and the other person And then the challenger can <laughs> gets the thumbs up or the exactly. thumbs down and says you must be on crack. There is no way that your wife. <laughs> and then you can feel free also game. to email us and say, yeah. "Are you insane?" Yeah, <laughs> I played this with my wife, and now I'm on sleep on the couch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but we're willing to put ourselves on the line here and say that there isn't there isn't a category you can come up with that we can't come up with five games and make good logical reasons why these games would exactly. work with. And we know this because we have played with damn near every type of person, every age of person that you could ever play a game with, period. So um, that's, I think, going to be a really fun segment, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun um, trying to stump stump each other (laughs) from week to week by coming up with weird, wacky challenges. That will be fun. We um, might even take some challenges from uh, other people. If <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, once once we wear each other out. <laughs> yeah, the, feel free to write in with with uh, challenges on the the website, or if we have other contributors um, from time to time on the podcast, we may have other guest guest contributors from week to week or episode to episode um, that uh, might come in to stump the band exactly collectively. Um, <laughs> But I'm really looking forward to that one. I think that'll that'll be pretty cool. Yeah, that's gonna be great. Um, I think I think we've done it <laughs> for this yeah, episode of the Spiel. It actually is recording. I can see our sound <laughs> actually recording. Woo-hoo! So someone episode out there, one point five is yes. actually gonna go off. <laughs> We're so very sorry <laughs> that <laughs> if you've hung with us this long, yeah. we'll get better. We promise, but I hope you've had fun listening to us. And I think uh, I think if you're into games, you're gonna learn. You're going to learn a lot, and you're going to have fun because there's just – how can you not have fun can, talking right. about games? Exactly. Um, so thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to check us out online at thespiel.net. Yep.